Hello, and welcome to We Are Monarch. I think it's really important for the public to understand that our kids do have, they can realize their hopes and dreams. They can be functional members of society. She's contributing and that she's participating in an activity that people give her praise for. We Are Monarch is a four-part series about the Monarch School in New England, a day school for students with disabilities ages 5 to 21 in Rochester, New Hampshire. By creating a dialogue and telling stories, we wish to celebrate our students and the adults who help them contribute to the world while bringing to light why this work matters. Hi, I'm Cynthia Tokas, Marketing Director at the Monarch School in New England. We have two guests this morning, which I'd like to welcome. Vicki Feeler, who is our board chair at the Monarch School of New England and also dean at St. Joseph College of Nursing. Good morning. Yes, Vicki, is that correct? <laughs> Good morning. It was nice to be here. Good morning. Um, actually, it's the St. Joseph School of Nursing. Thank you. But. Okay. And Diane Bessie, Executive Director at Monarch School of New England and by trade, a physical therapist. Thank you, Cynthia. I'm happy to be here today. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you both. Welcome. So, Vicki, let's start with you. How, how You have kind of a double role at the school. Talk a little bit about how you got into the Monarch School in New England and why. Well, it started many, many years ago. Um, I have a daughter who, with uh, significant handicaps, um, I had come to um, care for Amanda when she was a foster child when she was two and then adopted her when she was about uh, four years old. And through that process, um, we started in public schools, uh, preschool, and then uh, was looking towards kindergarten with her and was really struggling on finding an appropriate setting um, because she was, she had significant difficulties uh, in social interactions. She was very withdrawn um, in the public school she would frequently just kind of curl up into a fetal position and not be able to participate or um, sort of interact with her environment at all. It was just so overwhelming for her. Um, I sort of stumbled across the Monarch School. It was just a wonderful experience. They um, ha- took Amanda in over uh, the summer session to really do an evaluation and to figure out what kind of um, supports and services she needed. Um, got back together with the school district and came up with a plan for her. Um, So she started back in Monarch when she was um, four, and she is now 19. Amazing. (laughs) So she's been at the Monarch for an extremely long period of time. Um, And then several years ago, I switched jobs. I moved over to St. Joseph Hospital in Nashua, and they really encourage people to participate in community activities. So at that point in time, um, I called um, the school and said, I'd really be interested in serving on the board if you have a position available. Um, And so Diane contacted me and said, sure. And now you are board chair. Excellent. We were thrilled about that. Okay, Diane, your turn. So tell us a little bit how you got to the Monarch School in New England. Sure. Um, Back in 1998, I was working as a physical therapist in public schools. I had about 50 kids on my caseload, and I was traveling all around York County. And I was tapped by the the then program director at that Child Development Center to come in and take a look at the school because there was an anticipated opening. I didn't want or need another job. And one day I found a hole in my schedule, and I happened to be in the area. So I thought, well, I'll stop by and check this out and quickly tell them, no, I don't need a job. Little little did I know that once I visited the school, my mind would be completely changed. I was so taken 
by the staff, their caring, their commitment for the students that they, they, they were taking care of, the small size, the, um, the individuality in, in programming that they were able to offer. I could just see that walking through. Um, I felt welcome, and it was, it was from then on. I stopped by the executive director's office on my way out, and I said, you need to hire me, and he did. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how life works. It really is. Yes. So you started as a physical therapist. That's you right. moved up to program director, mm-hmm. and now you are our executive director. That's correct. And how many years total have you been at the school? 19 years. 19 years. Yes. So this podcast, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the future of our mm-hmm. school. Um, who wants to start a little bit about kind of where we've been and where we are now, how have we changed? Diane, maybe you want to go for that? We, When I first arrived at, this, at the Child Development Center, was our name before we became the Monarch School of New England, it was very therapy-driven. Kids were in small rooms. They were kept quiet. Um, there were four or five kids in a classroom, maybe 24 to 30 kids total. Um, they got out into the community, which was great. They've always done, we've always done that at the Child Development Center, Monarch School of New England. But um, therapies ran the day. Anything that was academic was very preschool. Talk about therapies. What do you mean therapy-driven? Okay. Um, all of the students at the Monarch School of New England have severe disabilities, and they require related services or therapies to support their education. Uh, could be occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavior therapy, speech and language, um, and vision therapy. And those specialists today work right in the classrooms along with the teachers, uh, again, to support the education progress of the students. Uh, back in the day, there was one teacher for the entire school, and I believe there were 24 students altogether. Um, the age range was Three to 21 at that point. We were all in one building, uh, so it was, there was some closeness there with, uh, with all of the staff. But we worked in silos. We went in and did our therapeutic thing as an individual physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech therapist. There was no collaboration, really, at, at, at that point. Everybody did their own little thing. Um, again, academics was something that they did that was uh, more of a preschool nature. So things, things changed. Um, as time went on, I remembered being in the public school and seeing the academics and how kids were pushed to be the best that they possibly can. Reading, you know, functional math, functional reading. What can they? What can they do uh, beyond this? Just physical abilities that that they have. Um, talk to the program director and the executive director about really pushing the academics. If we were going to remain competitive and stay open, we really needed to start doing what they were doing in the public school as well. We had the corner on the market in therapeutic intervention, but academically there was a long way to go. Uh, two teachers were hired the following year. This was um, probably about the time that, that, your, that your daughter was coming to us. Two teachers were hired. Academics started. Um, there was a, a different, in, different in the academics that were applied to the younger students and the older students, more individuality in the uh, academics. And we really started to see programming take off. Um, currently, there are nine teachers, certified teachers on board. Um, there's much more integration of the therapies into the classroom, therapies working together. Collaboration is what's going on, not the individual silos, but a whole team gathers around the child now to really develop individualized programming so the child can make progress um, academically, physically, um, in self-care. And at this point, we're doing job 
um, job-based learning for the st- kids to get them out into the into the community. So they will have a job upon graduation. Um, I, I just want to also say, though, that the change in the school to emphasizing the academics and developing it as a comprehensive program, as a parent, I can see that change in my daughter. So what I see Amanda coming home from school is she's capable of a lot more than what I traditionally think she's capable of. And I think of what people in the community or family members think she's capable of. I think that this program at the Monarch School has really expanded her horizons and made it um, much more obvious that she may not be able to communicate directly to us about what her capabilities are, but her level of understanding of her environment and being able to participate in her environment is just astounding to me. Describe Amanda for us. Describe what she looks like. Describe describe her. Um, she's very cute. <laughs> um, she's very small. She is short stature, so she's about four foot four, and that's going to be her maximum height. Um, she's a very social girl. She she loves smiling and laughing and interacting. Um, she's nonverbal, so she has no language, and she's not really been able to learn much sign language. Um, but she does have her own communication methods. So once you get to know her you can understand pretty well what it is that she's wanting and looking for. So she's at our high school. Yes. And we are now going into a new phase with our high school and our vocational program. Diane, do you want to talk a little bit about where we are currently situated in the Ghanic Plaza with our high school and where we're going? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, currently, our high school students are housed in a a facility. It is a storefront in a strip mall on Route 125 um, in the Gonic Plaza. And there's, um, there are two actual classrooms. We have, there are other two other rooms that we've fitted out as as classrooms, um, simply because we needed the space. Um, This is, I I just want to say, it's a temporary space that we started renting 15 years ago. So temporary is a long time. Uh, My staff have been very patient with, with this whole process. We are trying to offer the same academics they're doing in a public school. We're doing the self-care skills, like I said. We're doing vocational training on-site, then getting this, the kids out into the community as much as possible so they're learning actual jobs. But it's all in this very tiny space. We have one multi-purpose room that we're doing um, at, We're doing. Um, art, music, vocational training. It's a room for meetings. I mean, it is just used for everything. There's gardening going on in one side of the room, and there's, you know, a kiln in the other side of the room. And it's just, there's just a lot going on in this one little space. And through creative scheduling, we've been able to put up with this space for 15 years now. But at this point, kids need more. Um, The emphasis really is on that work-based learning. What will a child do when they graduate? And through Congress uh, across the United States, we're really pushing to graduate skills, kids with um, the ability to go to college or to have a skill upon graduation. And we need to follow that model if we're going to stay competitive. So at this point, we are we were looking for a, a space to do that. And shall I talk about that now? Yeah. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. Um, this this just warms my heart. It really does to see how circumstances just fall into place here. Uh, a very benevolent family that owns some property right up Eastern Avenue from our our main site um, 
offered us nine plus acres of land to build a new school. Um, it's farmland. It belonged to their family. And they've been fam- friends of the Monarch School for a long period of time. Um, but to have a space that's right up the street. Currently, the two sites are four miles and 10 red lights apart. So if you've got staff traveling between buildings, you lose a half hour. You know, so efficiency is, is really a problem. Um, the site that's on Route 125, is it's 50 miles an hour there. So some of our kids are autistic. There is an op- opportunity if the child is um, frightened by anything that they could bolt. And so that's always been a fear of mine that someone's going to be in the middle of 125 with the traffic out there. The new site on Eastern Avenue, totally away from the street. You really, you can kind of see the school. It sits out behind other other houses um, that are right on Eastern Avenue, but it's on a street by itself. It's, again, acres of farmland all around it. Peaceful, serene, and wonderful. The site on Route 125 is in the middle of a parking lot. Like I said, it's a strip mall. Uh, There's no recreational area for the students. We built a gazebo on the side of the parking lot for them so they would have a place to go and to recreate. But it really isn't... um, a nice place to gather, other other than that one little green area that we've created. It's a, it's a parking lot. So to have the space to do that and to create more programming is, is just amazing. The new site has four specific vocational training rooms. Uh, they're modular in nature, in nature right now so that we can change them over time to meet the demands of the job market. But we have a culinary space. We have a retail space. We have a woodworking area. We have an area with a greenhouse that will do landscaping as well. Uh, again, if we, we can change that up as, as much as we need to. There are four big classrooms, so there's plenty of space. There are meeting rooms, boardrooms. Um, there's a library and a media center, things that just don't exist at all in our current space. So part of our challenge, it seems, is that we, have a, we serve a tiny proportion of the population, right, with our right. students with significant disabilities. They're different than a child's in the public school. So our vocational program needs to be more focused, or it is more focused and it's growing in a different way. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then Vicki, I'd like to hear how you see Amanda in this vocational program. But Diane, could you give a little bit of insight on that? Sure. Our vocational program really needs to cater to the needs of the students. You and I have a job that we've picked that we like. It's because, and we're motivated to be there, not only by the paycheck, it's some, we get something intrinsically back from, from the job that we're doing. Our kids need to have that, that joy, enjoyment as well. They really need to have a job that is in their level of interest. They need to be motivated to go there every day. So we do a career interest survey with each one of our students, even if they're nonverbal. We have them pick from a series of jobs. We don't just assign them to a a place in the community because we have these 12 jobs, a little job bank. Um, We go out and we find a job that that we feel will meet their needs, their their exact skill set, so that they can thrive. Our hope is that they will take this job or something like that with them when they graduate. So we've had to really individualize all of the program that we do with, with the students. So if we have 14 kids, say, at the, at, which is what we currently have at our high, in our high school setting, each one of those 14 kids is going down a different career path. We are really tailoring all of what we're teaching them for their specific individual attention to the job that they're going to be doing. Okay. So then, Vicki, how does this, what would something like this look for Amanda? What, what are your hopes for Amanda with this? Well, I have to say Amanda is functional at a fairly low level. 
And so uh, I think the staff at the school and her teachers, her occupational therapists, have worked with her extensively to try to figure out what is her little niche that she enjoys. So I know we've gone through some trials and errors, like they had her folding washcloths, which she hated. Uh, They had her making uh, dog biscuits, which she hated. Um, And so one of the surveys they sent home for me to fill out about her, her interests and stuff, I said, put her in water. She just loves water. Um, She loves to play in it. She loves to bathe in it. Anything that has to do with water, she's excited about. So they have found her a place where she washes Legos for the Dover Children's Museum. So that's her job. She'll go out um, and actually be able to tra- to take the Legos, put them in the, the soapy water, transfer them to a rinse, and then take them out to, to dry them. So she's practicing her fine motor skills. She's practicing her vision and paying attention. Um, and it's something that she likes doing because it has to do with the water, and she gets to splash a little bit. And um, So it's, that's sort of an example of finding the right niche for a child, um, something that she likes looks forward to going to. She's excited about it. Um, She doesn't get bored with it. Um, And it may not be something that she can do for eight hours a day, like a normal job, but it's something that she could do for a couple hours a day. And so to me as a parent, it's like, well, if she can do this task, what could we figure out for her adult programming when she's out of school that might be something similar? So maybe she could stay and washing Legos, but is there an opportunity for her to do um, a different type of job, um, maybe um, washing dishes or doing something along those lines that would keep her interested, keep her motivated, but also give her a functional job to do in the community? So it's very exciting to me to, to see that growth in Amanda. Does that make a difference in her life when she does something like that? Do you see that she's happy and pleased about doing oh, this definitely. kind of work? Oh, definitely. She loves being out in the community. She loves interacting with people. She She's very... Um, praise driven. So if you tell her, great job, Amanda, she gets so excited and she'll kick her feet and she smiles and laughs. And so um, having positive feedback and feeling like uh, from her perspective, I think she feels like she's um, productive and that she's contributing and that she's participating in an activity that people give her praise for. And so she really enjoys that. Diane, you have been a big proponent of functional life skills, and when students leave the Monarch School in New England, that they have something that they can go to and use. How will this developing career program, vocational program, new school, how will that assist in that dream? I think it's really important for the public to understand that our kids do have, they can realize their hopes and dreams. They can be functional members of society. And even if, like you said, Vicki, it might be only for a few hours a day, they can be out there and they can do some giving back. They don't just have to be a draw on the system. They can be a part of the system. Our kids deserve the opportunity for um, their peers to see that they have they have strengths, they have skills, they have humor, they have personalities. They are people first. And this these jobs are going to give them that opportunity. I think going into the work world, um, not only do they learn these skills, it's those soft skills, it's that interaction with with others, that that ability to share what they like and what they don't like, and um, that they're not just pigeonholed into that's that child that couldn't do this that I went to school with a long time ago. That is that adult who has a skill and is my coworker in my workplace. So that respect that comes out of um, out of all this, it's really important that we show that they can give back. 
And we are kind of in the middle. I don't know if you would say the middle of a capital campaign for the school. So um, either Diane or Vicki, you want to talk about what the plan is for that, the capital campaign, and, and where we hope to end up? We're looking to raise about $1.3 million in addition to what we've already raised. We've raised over a million and a half. Uh, uh, we're also looking for corporate sponsors that might be willing to sponsor some of the vocational centers. Um, there's the opportunity for naming rights on some of the rooms and that are available um, in the new building. Um, but we're so excited about this opportunity to be able to bring this as a resource to the local community. And we serve children through southern New Hampshire, uh, southern Maine, and even out into some of the western New Hampshire areas. Um, we really bring in children from across the state uh, to um, avail themselves of these services. And we're really excited about being able to increase the number of students that we serve at the new high school and broaden the, the variety of, of different different options that they have uh, for vocational training. So any support that's available, either corporate or individual in the community, would be a great blessing for us, and we would greatly appreciate it. And the plan is to open the doors this summer, yes? Yes, throughout the summer program, July 10th, we plan to open. And we're going to have a big grand celebration? That's right, September 7th. All right, and that will be for anybody to attend. That's We'd correct. love to have the that's world, correct. if possible. Could you talk a little bit about the future of our school and why it's so important, the services that we provide? Sure. I absolutely see a need going into the future. We've had a wait list for a couple of years right now. Um, we are limited by space right now to the 50 students that we currently have. I think even when we go to 62, there will still be a need. Um, and fortunately, and the public schools are always hampered by cutbacks in in um, budgets. Um, they can do what they can do, and they and they really try hard. Uh, one of our niches that we've found is the ability to really work with the schools. The children belong in the school in which they came, and if, and they would be there and be educated there if the school possibly could. We are a stopover. We are we are a partner with with the with the schools. Um, we help them to educate the child, but this, the child really belongs in the district and where they came from. So I, I see the need going on. As we take in a child, we help to stabilize. The child has come to us because of a high medical need or high behavior need, and we really need to help stabilize that child. We work with the families. We work with the district. We work with the, the therapist to really create individualized programs so that they can make progress. I see this need going on forever. I, I, I really do. And this is Vicki. Uh, medical science has changed dramatically over the past 15 to 20 years, and we're seeing more and more um, children with medical conditions that survive and that live longer and longer and longer. And so it's not unusual at the school to see children that might not have survived past the age of two or three are now living to be 19, 20, 21, 22, and even longer. And so I think that need within the community is always going to be growing at some level as medical science better supports um, children with disabilities and with life-threatening conditions um, to survive, we're going to need placements in schools and uh, eventually um, adult services for the people that, that uh, survive that. Um, so I, I don't think that it's going to be shrinking. Um, there's also some national trends related to autism, um, behavioral um, issues with children. So I, I don't foresee that in the on um, you know in the, in the next 10 to 20 years that there's going to be a reduction in the number of, of uh, special education services that are needed if anything that in, it's going to continue to intensify um, and when you look at things like the Zika virus all of those things I think um, on a global scale impact the need for services um, 
that it's just going to continue. And speaking as a board member, um, we frequently have uh, really grand ideas and plans and thoughts about what we could be doing. And so we've talked about, do we expand the school looking at adult services? Do we expand the school looking at preschool at the other end? Do we expand the school literally in the sense of serving wider range communities within the state of New Hampshire, um, particularly up north and out to the west? There are some underserved areas where they struggle to find appropriate services for the and schooling education for the, for the kids that they have. So I think that there's always going to be room for growth and challenge and it's really to me a really exciting time to be on the board of directors and, and to be looking at what are the possibilities of Monarch School. Well, thank you, Vicki, um, Chair of the Monarch School, School of New England, and Diane, Executive Director of our school. This is the last of our four series podcast. And again, I want to thank you both for being a part of this program. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you to everyone who's taken the time to hear our story. I am Cynthia Tokas, Marketing Director at Monarch School of New England. If you'd like to learn more about our school, or if you'd like to help us build our new regional high school and vocational center, please donate at monarchschoolne.org slash donate slash campaign. We Are Monarchs theme music was composed by Scott Holmes and engineered and produced by Emily Quirk at New Hampshire Public Radio Studios.